Do any of you remember flannel graphs? Do you remember flannel graphs? Now, over at the school, before we moved here, we actually had uh, our junior church, we used flannel graphs. And if you're not sure what a flannel graph is, basically it's those little um, stories of Jesus in the Bible put on paper with a little felt on the back and put on felt background. Uh, those are pre-animation days, okay? So some of you, um, your, your kids or grandkids, like, I have no clue what a flannel graph is, right? Um, because they're so used to all this high-tech stuff. Well, some of them, my favorite flannel graphs, you know, you, got, you can probably see on this one, Jesus riding on a donkey, and there's Jesus heals a, uh, a person, a sick person, or a blind, a blind man, or a lame person. Um, there's some great stories, but there's some stories that never made the flannel graph. Okay, I don't know if I, I don't know if Balaam and his talking donkey made the made the flannel graph, and, and some of you are like what? There's a talking donkey, and it wasn't Shrek and his donkey. Okay, but yeah, there's a story in there. <clears throat> you got to read it, right? I know one story didn't get on the flannel graph, and it's the story of Elisha when he was made fun of by a bunch of teens, and the bears came out and mauled the teens. That didn't make the flannel graph. I don't know why. That'd be a great one for the youth group to check out, right? Well, there are some other stories that obviously never made the flannel graph. Matter of fact, when you read through the Bible, you're going to discover, if you read carefully, there's a few R-rated versions that would never make VeggieTales, okay? I mean, you're just like, the VeggieTales won't even sing about the Song of Solomon's, okay? Because it gets a little risque. So they wouldn't touch it, right? Then you sit there and think, well, why then are these stories in the Bible, right? I'm going to tell you why they're in the Bible. They are for today. Father's Day, because we need some stories for the men in here, some action, some craziness, right? Because you're all thinking, that's what men like, right? Yeah, a little grunt there, right? Maybe, maybe not, okay? Um, but I want to take a look at two stories. They never, I don't know if they made the flannel graph Sunday school lesson book or not. They might have, I don't know. Um, but you will be familiar with these two stories, but I want to show you some craziness of some things that happened in these stories because I think sometimes, again, when we open up the Bible, we just sort of read through and brush through, and we read it uh, sort of in a King James thought, like, thou thus deest, and, you know, and we're like, I have no clue what that means. Sort of slow down and look at these stories. And here's the thing. Whenever you look at a story in the Bible, there's something that's very important for all of us to remember. And that is, it's not Peter, it's not Moses, it's not Job who is the main character. It's always God who is the main character of every single story in the Bible. And I know we love looking at these characters and, and, you know, we're going to look at Abraham and Isaac. We're going to look at Jesus and his disciples. But you're going to find out that God is always the central character of every story in the Bible. So grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. It's a story about Abraham and Isaac. And I know you've heard this story before. Most of you, I should say. And, uh, and I have to be careful because there's times I'm sitting there going, oh, you've all heard this story. And people are like, I have no clue who David and Goliath is. And I'm going, really? Um, I have no idea who Moses is. Really? So I don't want to take that for granted. So, but I know some of you will be familiar with Abraham and Isaac. And we're going to start in verse 1. So let's begin there. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Pause for a second here. Don't read this too fast, okay? God calls out to Abraham. Abraham, he's like, here I am, as if 
God was looking? No. That's not what he means. It's not, like, it's not like God, I wonder where Abraham is. Here I am. Oh, good. Couldn't find you, right? God knows exactly where Abraham is, but Abraham's reply, here I am, actually means at your service. It's important to understand that reply because this isn't the first time God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and said, you're going to leave your land. You're going to move to a new location. You're going to have a new community, new friends, a new culture you're going to be engaged in. All right, and he listened. And God continued to speak to Abraham and said, oh, by the way, I know you're older now, but we're going to change your name. You're going to get circumcised. Oh, and then later he's like, you're going to get your 90-year-old wife pregnant. And he's like, what? It's in there, right? But now what, right? Now Abraham is like, at your service. Now what? I've been listening. I've been doing all these things that you've said. Now what? And God's like, sacrifice your son. He's like, okay, I... God, you've told me a lot of crazy things, but now sacrifice, you want me to sacrifice my only son, the one whom I love. I'm just trying to make sure we got this straight, God, right? What kind of God commands such evil? Right? Again, if you've never read the story and you start reading like, what? who is this God that you guys are worshiping and singing about, right? Look at verse number three. The next morning... Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took one of his two servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God told him about. I mean, there's no hesitation here. No questions asked. The last verse was, sacrifice your son. And then verse 3, well, the next morning he got up. What happened? Was there anything that happened between verse 2 and verse 3 that we're not seeing here? I mean, again... I'm looking at this, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to show you where to cut up your son the next morning. Can you imagine what's going on here? Again, this is history. Put yourself there, dads. Hey, son, let's grab the fishing pole. Let's grab the fishing gear. Let's go on a fishing trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, son, grab your ball glove, and let's go out and play ball. Hey, daughter, let's, you know, and let's go out and, let's go out and go for a bike ride together. Hey, Isaac. Grab some wood. I'm going to grab the machete. Let's go out for a sacrifice. That just doesn't fit with all those other things, does it? It isn't like the typical thing you could call your kid up and say, hey, let's go do this together. But that's what happens. On the third day, look at verse 4. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. On, on what? Let me put that on the screen. Let's say, let's say the, on what? Third day. I love third day stories. The greatest one is what? The resurrection, right? There's a lot of third. This is another third day story. Because think about this. After three days, a long three days, Abraham and Isaac are walking with their servants. Three days, what's going through Abraham's mind? It's pretty, probably pretty dark. Probably pretty sad. He knows he's going to have to sacrifice his son. Because he's what God said. Son has no clue. And they are on this journey. Don't miss this. Isaac is carrying wood up this mountain that he's going to be a sacrifice upon. You need to know this. This is the same mountain that Jesus, fast forward thousands of years later, will climb with the cross to be sacrificed upon as well. Same mountain. Both carrying wood that they're both going to be sacrificed upon. Don't miss that point. Look at verse 5. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We'll worship there and then we'll come right back. Really, Abraham? 
or maybe he's got faith. We'll see. Verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Dad, this is, this is like a punch in the gut right here. Yes, son? Hey, Dad, we've got the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? What do you tell your kid? Abraham goes, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him, Abraham built an altar. He arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Wow. Little by little, Abraham is preparing for the sacrifice. Stacking the wood on top of the altar he just built. And then he takes his only son whom he loves, ties him up, lays him on top. Gets the knife ready. And just about when he's ready to plunge the knife, something happens. And understand this, okay? Abraham was not a perfect man. He didn't have it all together all the time. But he was faithful to one God. And that's important. Look at verse 10. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied. Here I am. Again, at your service, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Wow. What a scary moment, right? God calls out. God sees the faithfulness of Abraham. But let me ask you this. Did God need to see the faithfulness of Abraham? Did God need to see it? Doesn't God know everything? Yeah, he does. God doesn't need to see Abraham's faith. God already knows that Abraham has faith. But I think Abraham needs to see it. I think Abraham needs to exercise his faith. I want you to think about this. How many times have you had a job to do, and you go out and do that job, and you might have some doubt in your mind, like, I wonder if I can do this job or not. So you go out and you do the job. And then when you get done doing the job, you accomplish it, you're like, wow. One, it felt good to do it. And two, I was able to do it. So guess what? The next time you got to go and do that job again, you've got a little bit more confidence. I think I can do this. Athletes in here, you know this, right? You, you practice your sport over and over and over. So in competition, when you have to go do it, you do it with confidence. And once you do it with confidence, you're like, I can go back out there and do it again. Because I did it before. I wonder... If part of this was for Abraham's sake. Abraham, your faith is strong, but it needs to be stronger. So I want you to go do this. And Abraham was able to see and experience his faith in action. But I think there's more. One more person needs to see his father's faith too. You want to make a guess? about Isaac? Think about this. Isaac's probably looking at his dad and maybe having this conversation sometime about God. He's like, hey, dad, are you serious about following this God that you speak of? Abraham looks like, yeah, I'm dead serious, son. I'm literally dead serious. I mean, I really believe in God, you know. And, and of course, he didn't probably make those motions, but it's probably going on in his mind. Like, I'm serious about following God. 
Isaac witnessed his father's faith in action. Don't miss that. I think that's very important. Here's why. I wonder if our children will look at us fathers and say, my dad is serious about his faith. My mom is serious about her faith. Our children need to see us moms and dads and grandparents be serious about our faith. They're watching just as Isaac was watching Abraham. And if we're not serious about our faith, why should they be serious about their faith? Sometimes parents are like, my kids are doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They just don't. Let me ask you, how are you doing? I mean, if they don't see you living it out, why should they? They need to see your faith. My boys need to see my faith lived out. My boys should have no shadow of a doubt. They should be able to look at me and say, hey, my dad's serious about his faith. I hope they do. And if not, I need to keep working on that. As a reader, here's something else to think about. We had some information here that nobody else had. Go back to verse 1. And look how this starts. It starts off with saying, God tested Abraham's faith. Now, wait a minute. We read it, okay? So we know it. At the outside of this story, we already know. Hey, oh, this is going to be a test, right? This is a test. This is only a test. Beep. You remember those? Okay, right? Abraham didn't get this notice. Nobody told him. God didn't say, hey, Abraham, I'm going to test you, okay? All right, God. That didn't happen. We know it. Abraham did not know this. Now, keep in mind, the definition of testing here differs between Abraham and God. And maybe between us and God, how we define testing. See, we come to, let's go back to school. I'm so sorry, students. I want you to rewind back one month to when you're in school. Avery just gave me the head shake. No, that ain't happening. Okay, well, you don't have to. Everybody else do this for me. Go back to school. You're sitting in class. The teacher comes in. It's finals. There's a big test coming. And all of a sudden, here comes that paper right in front of you, that test. Boom. How you feeling? You're like, what? Oh, you loved your teacher. You adored your teacher. But now, that teacher's out to get me. Oh, the opposition, right? They're just trying to keep me in this school for centuries, right? We look at tests as being such a bad thing, right? They're going to try to trick me and fail me, right? That's how we think of a test. I want you to look at tests a different way this morning, okay? Uh, author John Turney describes God's testing like that of making soup. So I want you to imagine making soup. Again, I'm not a chef. I'm not a cook. I'm, the best way for me to make soup is can, dump, water, whatever. Yeah. For those of you that are chefs and cooks, you know how to make soup. And from what I understand, you got this big pot going and you're adding all your ingredients and you've got the flame going right and your soup is simmering, it's cooking right. And then you add a little bit of ingredients, you stir it, you take a little taste of it, right? You're testing it to see if it's ready yet. Not quite yet. Add a few more ingredients, keep the flame up, stir it a little bit more, take another taste, getting closer. Add another ingredient, flame still on, right? Stir it. Ah, now it's done. That is how John Turner describes the testing of God. He applies the heat, might add an ingredient here or there, keeps stirring things up until finally it is done and it is ready to be served. And it is a finished product. 
Abraham experienced other moments of testing in his life, but it was like this was it. Like, okay, Abraham, I got one more ingredient I need to stir in your pot. Here comes the heat, buddy. I'm going to stir it up. I'm just testing you. Let me see if it's going to taste good. Faith requires testing. Remember that, church. Our faith is going to require testing. And here's another thing. Abraham had three long days, right? As I said before, what's going on in his mind? What is he thinking during those three days? After three days, there's finally that moment where it all ends, right? Just like the disciples and Mary. Jesus is in a tomb. Our faith is done, right? There's sorrow and darkness. And then the angel said what? He is not here. He is risen. Oh, and everything got awesome, right? Everybody was so excited. Everybody was so happy. Because the angel of the Lord told him, he's not here. He's risen. Now, check this out. It's been three days, right? And he's in that moment where it's like Isaac is about ready to be buried. And right when he's about ready to lift that knife, what does he hear? Scripture says that the angel of the Lord, capital A, and studying this, they believe it's the pre-incarnation of God. In other words, the voice of Jesus Christ calls out from heaven. Hold on. Hold on, Abraham. And as if it's if Jesus in that moment is saying, I don't want you to sacrifice Isaac here because down the road, I'm going to be sacrificed here. In the meantime, I got a ram over in the thickets over there that I just magically supplied for you. Go get it. Sacrifice that. What an awesome story. It's an awesome story. A little crazy. But some of us grew up hearing this story like no big deal, right? But what if this is one of the first times you ever heard this story? What if this morning, this is the first time you open up the Bible to Genesis 22, and you're sitting there going, what kind of God do you guys sing about here? I mean, why does God ask such a thing? You know, in this story, there might be a lot of whys, right? But again, we have the luxury of that first sentence, this being a test of God. We're able to sit here and say, oh, this is a good, God's going to test Abraham, and in less than three minutes, we can read this story and we're done. He had three days of waiting it out. I don't know about you, some of you, but here's the thing. If I'm going to watch a sporting event sometimes at home, depending on what's going on, if I have time or not, or a lot of times I'll just record it and watch it later. I cannot come in here on a Sunday morning if Saturday night I watched a college football game that went into the late hours of the night and it's one of my favorite teams I want to watch and my emotions are all over the place and then I'm either really mad or really excited and I come in here Sunday morning and I let my emotions rule my preaching and I can't do that. So sometimes I'll go to bed and I'll just record and I'll watch it later. Sometimes I do that because I don't want to watch commercials. But a lot of times I may record something because here's why. My anxiety is like a roller coaster when I watch sporting events. I try to keep it calm, but inside, it's all over the place. And I can't handle I want to fast forward. Just give me the last two minutes of the game. I just want to see what's going to happen. Because I do not need two hours of anxiety. I'll just take two minutes of what happens. That's good for me, right? That's sort of the way I, I roll sometimes. But we can sort of do the same thing with this story right here. We get to, boom, fast forward, DVR right there. Read it, boom, three minutes, we're done. Abraham didn't have that luxury. He had to live out three days of knowing his son 
whom he loves, his only one, was going to be sacrificed. Church, as a Christian, I'm going to tell you right now, our faith requires testing. And sometimes our testing can be a long season. We want things instantly. God, answer my prayer now. Give me this now, right? And God says, now, yeah, it's going to be a while. This is a season. Trust me through the season. I'll walk with you. Just trust me. I um, decided that I want to do some more reading on this. And, and as I was studying this, I was learning that having faith means that we don't give up even when it's hard. I think a lot of people give up on their faith when it gets tough, right? And we have to learn to walk with God when we feel like running. And we have to run with God when we feel like quitting. And sometimes it's trying to discern that and understand that. I sent my son a text the other day. And I try to send my boys stuff every now and then. And, and one of my sons, I know, is, is you know, just getting challenged right now in grad school. And so I thought, you know what? I read something, and I wanted to send this to him. So I'm going to share with you what I sent to him. Um, it was some reading that I had done. And, and here's what it says. It doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. Those who achieve greatness are those who decide to achieve greatness. The difference between the achievers and everyone else is how they respond to the obstacles. How you respond to the events you encounter determines your outcome. You get to decide your next step. Life is hard. Never give up. Now, that was a simple advice to him to remind him that life is hard. Don't give up. We have things that come in front of us all the time, all kinds of obstacles, just as Abraham did. But he got to choose, do I face this obstacle and take that next step and keep moving forward or not? If I want to achieve greatness in my life, I've got to do what God's asking me. This might be a tough step, but if he wants me to do it, I'm going to do it. Sometimes it's hard, but I've got to do it. But again, this story isn't about Abraham. It's not about Isaac. It's not about you and me, really. Who's it about? Let's go back to what I told you at the beginning. God's always the main character. It's an incredibly crazy story to point out this. God is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of our trust. It's not so much about I need to trust him, but it is about God is trustworthy. Oh, yeah, I need to trust him. That's important. But let's not forget that God is trustworthy. Okay, so we're going to fast forward a few thousand years. And there's a time period between the Old Testament and New Testament where God gets quiet. And we get into the New Testament. God comes to earth as Jesus Christ. And then we study the book of John for 10 years. Okay. And we, uh, we wrapped up John chapter 5 last week. And I said I was not going to go into the book of John this week, but I'm going to cut through it real quick because here's what happens. We finished up last week, John chapter 5, with some incredible claims made by Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am equal with God. I am God. He, and he shows the evidence, right? But here's what we need to understand. John 5 ends with that discussion. John 6, which we'll hit next week, is over here. But in between John 5 and John 6, there's a lot of things that happened that Matthew, Mark, and Luke record, but John does not. Some of the things I put on the screen up there, the Beatitudes, which are great teachings of Jesus. Roman officer's servant is healed. Widow's son raised alive. There's more teachings, more parables. The woman who anoints the feet of Jesus with her hair. There, Jesus tosses out this demon, and the religious leaders go crazy, okay? All these things happen in between John 5 and 6, and then we get to John 6. But wait, there's one more story in between John 5 and 6, which we're going to hit right now. And this story is about Jesus in the boat with the disciples. There's a big storm, and then he goes across, and he meets his demon-possessed man. 
recorded in three different books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, in between John 5 and 6. So grab your Bibles. You're in Genesis 22. Go all the way to the New Testament now, to the book of Mark. Matthew, Mark. Mark's the second book in the New Testament, Mark chapter 5. Let me give you the background of what's happened in Mark 4. After a long day, Jesus is with his disciples. It had been a long day. They're in a boat. They're going across uh, the lake. And this huge storm comes up. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is in the boat. He's taking a nap. He is exhausted. Remember, he is divine, but he also has humanity, which means he understands why he's able to understand our weaknesses. He's tired. Take a nap. Okay. I'm not going to ask dads how many of you out there are going to take a nap today. Okay. But hey, it is Father's Day. You want to be like Jesus? I love Jody Lynn Meyer. Her son was wearing a shirt. Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus, okay? You all want to be like Jesus today? You have permission. Be like Jesus, okay? So here's what happens. This fierce storm approaches. It's a fierce storm. It's no simple shower, okay? The Greek word here used for fierce is megas, which we get our word mega, huge, gigantic, right? Okay, disciples get scared because this extremely huge, large storm comes. They go screaming like a junior high girl in a scary movie uh, to Jesus and wake him up. The storm doesn't wake Jesus up. The disciples wake Jesus up. And I don't know uh, at this point in time if they were thinking clearly if this was a true question or a statement. But they're like, don't you care, Jesus? I don't know if it's so much a question. I think maybe it was, do do you see what's going on here? I mean, you say you care about us, but look what's going on. We'll get to that in a second. I don't know if Jesus, too, was groggy or not when he woke up. Most of us, when we wake up from a nap in the middle of the afternoon, like, I have no clue where I'm at, what is today. Okay, then we're gone. Jesus woke up, and he looked at the storm, and he said, peace be still, right? And the word peace, by the way, is not a noun. It was a verb, and the verb here basically means involuntary muteness, which means, boom, quiet. Mega storms going on. Jesus stands up and gives a few words. And next thing you know, complete silence. What kind of silence? It says that there was a great calm. Oh, oh by the way, where that great is that megas again. It went from a mega storm to a mega calm. And at that point in time, the disciples are like, who is this guy? Right? Like, this is crazy. Now, let's go to Mark 5. Here we go. We're going to answer who this guy is. Mark 5, verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake, the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains with his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? The disciples just asked, Who is this guy? And this zombie, demon-crazed, madman, naked, running towards him, calls him out. Jesus, you're son of the Most High God. 
Now, I want you to think about this, okay? This is happening between 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. and midnight. It's dark. The disciples just pull in. They're probably drenched from that storm. They're getting off. They see it's, it's dark. They see this naked, crazy, demon-possessed, zombie-like man streaking and running at them, screaming and yelling. There's a huge pig farm of over 2,000 pigs nearby, so it probably smells a little bit. It's probably a little humid. Anybody want to get back in the boat? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is going on, right? Well, here's the thing. Jesus came here with a purpose, and we need to remember this. Jesus will not go where we will. I'm sorry. Jesus will go where we will not go. And he will take us to a place where we don't want to go on our own. Think about that. And that's what's happening here. The disciples just before us were like, who is this man? Who is this guy? And the demons answer, right? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. And this demon-possessed man knows that Jesus God, he knows the power to send him directly to hell. And so this demon-possessed man's like, hey, send us into the pigs over there. So Jesus is like, you got it. Look at the next scripture. Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man. He entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Like, what just happened? The disciples are trying to process everything that just happened in the last few hours. Make a storm. Zip. Make a crazy man, demon-possessed man, naked man running at you. Zip. 2,000 pigs. Splash, 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 right? And you're like, what? What's going on here, right? I'm telling you, this is better than flannel graph right here. This really is, okay? I'm wondering, too, what that farmer's thinking. I mean, we grew up on a farm. We had about four or 500 head of hogs, something like that. 2,000. In other words, this was a well-off farmer, and this was his livestock. This was how he made money. Now, they're not around anymore. What was he thinking? He's like, hey, who is this guy, right? Men, you guys wanted a good action story? You got it today. You got two action stories going on here, okay? First of all, Jesus is not this flannel graph, smiley, uh, loving Lead us like a shepherd song that we just sang a little bit ago, okay? In this story, he is fierce. He is powerful. He tells a megastorm to zip it. He steps in front of a charging crazy man and tells him to zip it. And then he sends off these demons into a herd of pigs. I mean, that should put us in awe. It really should. It should silence us and remind us that Jesus ain't no powder puff, uh, last resort. Help me out, guy. He is God. He is most high. He is powerful and fierce. He steps out of that boat. And remember this. He's outnumbered, right? Well, at least we think he is. It's like one to 6,000. Why 6,000? He asked the demon's name. He goes, my name is Legion. Legion means an army of over 6,000. And that day, Augustus had an army of 6,862 men, okay? But we don't know if that was the exact number. So let's just back it down to 6,000. One versus 6,000. What are the odds? Well, in our eyes, it's the odds look bad for Jesus. But we forget this is Jesus. So we forget it's one versus 6,000, and God's got the odds. We need to remember that. They're outnumbered. Jesus is, to whatever the number is, is always the favorable. There's so much to see in this story, but I want you to see one more thing here. I want you to understand the destructiveness of Satan. 
Satan wants to take this man created in the image of God and wants to distort him, wants to destroy him. God wants to take those of us with our skills and talents and take what is useful to be useless. He wants to take our emotions and twist them to make us angry, depressed, complaining people with uh, this, like, this internal destructiveness going on. Satan wants to take what God has made for good and beautiful and twist it and destroy it. And that's what he did, did with this man. He was a mess. His testimony would be now, I was a mess, I was in chains, but God has freed me from the chains. I am free. I am new. And instead of looking at the storms and maybe the craziness of those who are hurting and acting like they're demon-possessed, maybe we need to sit down with somebody who's been freed and ask them their testimony. Tell me about how Jesus freed you. Let me hear your story of freedom. And let that encourage you. That's what God does with us when we trust him. In times of testing, in the storm, in those fearful moments, let me ask you the big question. Do you trust God? That's the question this morning. Does your life reflect one who is willing to trust? Can your kids look at you and say, hey, my parents, my dad, my mom, my grandparents, they trust God. I've seen it. And when others say, who is this man you speak of? Who is this God you keep talking about? Can you say, is Jesus, son of the most high God? Will those be, will those be the words that come out of your lips? Or it's like, oh, the big man upstairs. Please never use those, that phrase around me. He is not the big man upstairs. He is God. Do not use that phrase around me, okay? I love you all, okay? But don't use that around me. That's just an annoyance for me. It's a pet peeve, okay? He is God. Trusting God is not always easy. It's not the most relaxing thing. You know, do you ever hear this, the, the phrase, um, if, if you're the pilot, you need to scoot over and let Jesus be the pilot. You need to be the co-pilot. You ever heard that illustration? You know, let Jesus take the steering wheel. Okay, here's the way it works. Okay, for me, I get in the car. And it's like, all right, Jesus, you can drive. And I look around and he's not in the car. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing the old Christian cliche. Take, take the steering wheel. Where's he at? And I look there's Jesus. He's getting in the car in front of me. Like, what's he doing? Hey, where's he? Now I got to get over on my side now because Jesus is taking off in the car and I got to follow him. He didn't give me a map. He just said, follow me. All right, I'm going to follow you. But sometimes he goes really fast. Sometimes he slows down and it's all awesome, right? But then he makes a turn. He gets in the left lane and I didn't know he was going to get in the left lane. And then he zips back over two lanes and turns. He didn't use his turn signal. And I'm telling you, man, sometimes following Jesus gets a little crazy. Doesn't it? That's how I feel sometimes. But here's the thing I know about my Lord. Is that if he gets too far ahead of me, he'll slow down and wait for me to catch up. And if he takes a turn and he sees I didn't turn off, he'll get back on and find me and help me out again to follow him. I believe that's the way he works. And I know this because I know trusting him isn't easy, but I know it's it's worth it. Because I know the destination. I know where he's going and he wants me to go with him. It's worth following him. I asked the worship team to come on up. You know, I think back what these disciples said in the, in the boat. They're like, don't you care, God? And it's like, yes, he does. I want to read a scripture to you. It's from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. And it says this. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. 
You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. It's Father's Day. Remember this. Our Heavenly Father, if He's checking out when a sparrow falls, which seems to be invaluable according to the Scripture, or a hair in your head falls out, if He knows that, don't you think He cares about all the other stuff in your life? I believe He does. So when those disciples are like, don't you care? Jesus like, absolutely. More than you know. That's why I'm never going to ask you to do something that's entirely super crazy without giving you a way out. You just got to trust me. Follow me. Trust me. Because when you do, you're going to see some amazing things. You'll see some changes in your life. You'll be free from things that have, that have bound you up. And, and before we sing this, this last song, I will admit during first service, I got done preaching. I went down. We started to sing this song. And I'm going, man, this is a slow song. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Um, I didn't write it. <laughs> and I was like, man. And then halfway through the song, like God always does, he does one of those, hits me upside the like, stop whining, you're the pastor. And he goes, listen to the words. This is the testimony of the crazy zombie chained man. This would be the song he would sing. So as we sing this song, prayerfully think about what we just heard. And if you're chained up right now by a bunch of emotions or things that are going on in your life, ask God to free you of them. Trust him. Follow him. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for truth. I thank you, God, that in my weakness of humanity, you show me things every day. God, you taught me a lesson this morning at 10 a.m. at the end of the service to trust you. Even when we're singing a song that I didn't understand, in the end, I loved it. Thank you, God, for teaching me. God, help me to keep trusting you, to keep following you. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray.